Amen. And uh, now we're back to the Gospel of John. It's been uh, three weeks uh, since we've been in the Gospel of John. So please turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to read verses 25 through 30. But I don't, I'm not making any promises. We're not going to get those verses. But I'll read the verses. This is the section that we're going to focus on now. As Jesus, chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. Chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. And uh, we've been preaching through the Gospel of John verse by verse. Uh, now we arrive at this section here. And the focus of this section is on two resurrections. Two resurrections. We give heed to the reading of God's word. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. Amen. Now, uh, a bit of review here. A, a bit of review so that we can get right back into the Gospel of John. If you remember in John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who was born or who had been lame for 38 years. This man is sitting pool of Siloam, and he is waiting for somebody to bring him into the water that he might be healed. And there are many, as if you remember, there are many men and women in this area who are sick and who are waiting for someone to, to bring them into the waters that they might be healed. And Jesus singles out this one man, and he says to the man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the man is healed instantly. The Pharisees see this man. They, they knew, the religious leaders knew this man. They knew who he was. They knew he had been this way for 38 years. And now he's walking. And he's got his mat, which was, you know, like a small pillow. Or, or it could even be made of reeds and rolled up. And like a carpet, a thick carpet or rug, something like that, where he would lay on. And they see him carrying it. And... They say to him, 
It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. It's in verse 10. You think of the religious hypocrisy. You think of how dark a heart has to be to see a person revived and revitalized. They've been brought back to life, as it were. And all they can think about is their religious tradition. You have this, you know, visitors will come to a church and your service won't be the way that they're used to, right? There's no American flags up or the, the, the pastor maybe doesn't say it in Jesus' name or maybe he's not reading a particular version or he is reading a particular version or a thousand other things. He could be preaching the gospel with full clarity, but just one tradition that you have and, why well, I can't get back there. He wears long socks. Preachers should wear short socks. Some weird thing. People have all kinds of traditions, and traditions blind you from seeing the truth. And that is exactly what happened with with these men. They were blinded by their tradition. I'm not checking my text messages. I'm pushing the record button. Sorry, because I forgot. I apologize. So, they were blinded by their tradition. And so the man says to him, well, the person who healed me, he's the one who said, take up your bed and walk. And they were looking for this man now to kill him. Verse 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. That's why you violated an, an unbiblical understanding of what the Sabbath is. This, this was not biblical Sabbath keeping what they were trying to promote. This was just pure legalism. That's what it was. Self-righteousness. We've got these rules. And if you don't keep them the way we like them to be kept, we're going to kill you. So their hatred for Jesus was deep. And look at the way that Jesus answered. What did Jesus say to them? Jesus says to them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. My father and I, who together in the beginning created the world and rested on the Sabbath day, didn't stop working on the Sabbath day. We have been providentially preserving the entire universe. We have been upholding, we have been governing, we have been directing, and we have been disposing all things for our glory. So the Jews get upset when he says this, because he's making himself equal with God. This man is saying he's God. So Jesus doesn't back up. He elaborates to amplify what he's saying. He says, oh, um, You understood me correctly. Let me tell you more. He says to them, beginning at verse 19, not only have I been working since the creation of the world, and not only have I been preserving all things, everything that God knows, I know. 
everything that God knows. I know. The will of God is my will. The way that God raises the dead is the same way that I raise the dead. And you know what? You will see greater things. Not only are you going to see, you think the raising of that lame man was miraculous and offensive to you? There will be more. There will be greater offenses. And in verse 25, Jesus begins to talk to them about what, really he started with verse 24, when he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into it. The words of Jesus give life. If you remember the, your, your Old Testament at all, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus is saying, my words are God's words because I'm God. My words give life. The Jews would they, they would have made that connection. They, they probably had smoke coming out of their ears and their beards were curling up with anger as Jesus is talking to them. But now here, Jesus, and of course he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. Here Jesus now, he doubles down in verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will Hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. But Jesus here is talking about a resurrection of the dead before the resurrection of the dead. There is a resurrection that he says, now is, already, it's taking place now, that is before the resurrection of the dead. And he confirms this with a solemn oath. He says, most assuredly, or verily, verily, amen, amen, truly, truly, we, uh, Jesus uses this formula a lot. And sometimes when we come to it, uh, a lot is a technical term. He uses it. And, uh, and, and we read it sometimes and we may, Jesus is highlighting something for the Jews here. He's pointing something out to them. You see, for the Jewish believer, resurrection was at the end of the world. So if you read Daniel chapter 12, we had a reference there to resurrection. And it was at the end of the world. And Jesus is saying that resurrection is happening even now as we speak. He's highlighting this truth. He's making it a big deal. The hour is coming and now is. Now, resurrection is occurring. But he's not talking about raising Lazarus. That's not what he's talking about. Now, of course, that comes into what he's into the sphere of what he's saying. But you have to remember that resurrection is a particular thing. There is has only been one man who has been resurrected bodily. 
That's Jesus. There's only one man who's been resurrected bodily with a body that is now freed from the power of sin and death. He was subject to it. He never sinned. Sin had no power over him. But he was subject to the judgment. After his resurrection, he is freed from the power. There is no condemnation for us. There is no condemnation for Christ because he has paid for the sins of his people. He's borne their sin. But he's the only one who has been resurrected. So what is this What is this first resurrection that Jesus is talking about? Because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a first resurrection. Even now, as I'm talking to you, as I'm talking to my audience. Well, it's not the raising of Lazarus. God raises him, but that's a resuscitation. It's a miracle. He was dead, stinking in the grave. His sister says, let's not open the tomb. Right? There were no preservatives back then. It was raw death. It was the smell of death. And he says, open the tomb. He speaks, and Lazarus comes out. It's not like the widow's son. Do you remember the widow's son in Luke chapter 6? In Luke chapter 6, verse 14, Excuse me, it's not um, Luke, it's it's not Luke 6, but look at Matthew 5, 41. Matthew chapter 5. You know, I think my my dyslexia kicked in. I have the wrong verses for both. (laughs) But the widow's son, Jesus raises the widow's son in the Gospel of Luke. And in uh, Matthew, he raises the synagogue leaders, the religious leaders' daughter, raises them up. That's not what he's talking about. Because those are not resurrections. Those are resuscitations. Uh, What was that? Huh? Luke 7. 14, sorry, thank you. Luke 7, Luke 7, 14? Yeah, Luke 7, thank you very much. This is one of the reasons why you should always bring a Bible when somebody's preaching. Because they could tell you something that was in the Bible, and then, you know, it's not there. So pay attention. Luke 7, Luke chapter 7. And verse 14. Thank you. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who cried, uh, who carried him, stood still and said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus said this. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. 
And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding regions. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about physical resurrection. What Jesus is talking about is giving spiritual life. What he's talking about in this first resurrection, it is a spiritual resurrection. That is what he's talking about. The dead that he is referring to in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, are people who are spiritually dead. Who are these spiritually dead people? Well, we don't know because they look just like us. Because they walk around and they talk and they eat. Some of them pray and read their Bibles. They were like the Pharisees. They were just like the Pharisees. They were, they were even, they were religious. You see, when we tend to think about spiritually dead people, our mind immediately goes to uh, hookers and drug addicts. No, not at all. It, it, it's, sometimes it's the most prim and proper people in this world that are dead, like it was in Jesus' day. They, were the, they, they wouldn't even use the word hooker, like I just did. But these are the people Jesus is talking about. People who are spiritually dead, who are corrupt, who are filled, as he says, with dead, they're like tombs that are filled with dead men's bones. Although living, they walk around dead. This is who Jesus is talking about. And he repeats this often. This is not something that is on the lips of Jesus maybe once or twice when he makes reference to men being dead. It's all over the stories, the parables that he uses, the illustrations that he makes, because he wants his audience to understand that just because you are alive and walking around, and remember, he's speaking in particular to a religious audience. Jesus, is, Jesus isn't ministering to pagans. He was ministering really to the only real religious group in the world, the Jews. It's like Jesus showed up to, you know, First Baptist Church of so-and-so, or, you know, the whatever. I don't know what the common churches are here, but that's what it was like. Jesus was showing up to the religious people, and he was saying these kinds of things. He was doing it repeatedly. He was declaring these truths to them. For example, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. And he says, or it says really, beginning at verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed, Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road. Uh, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll go, I'll go to the ends of the earth. Right? They, they won't wake up on Sunday to come to church but they'll go with Jesus to the ends of the earth, right? That's their confession. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We're not staying at Trump Towers. Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, let me go, let me first go 
and bury my father. I'll go, but I have some worldly responsibilities I have to attend to, Jesus. Then I'll follow you. Let me take care of these earthly responsibilities. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the dead people bury dead people. Because there are some people who aren't dead who are dead. Jesus had this category of men who are living but are not alive. They're dead. And um, when a person is dead, they're dead. They have no life in them. Listen, here, here's, a, here's another picture. So what is this kind of person like this dead person? Well, look at Luke chapter 15. Again, Jesus, this is the parable of the lost son. This is the parable of the lost son. And the son returns, right? We all know the story of the prodigal. The son returns, and in verse 22, the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robes and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead. He was dead in trespasses. He had given himself over fully to the world. He took his inheritance and he spent it on riotous living. He was dead. But he turned from his sins and came back. And pleaded for mercy. He pleaded for mercy, and his father said, you're not going to become a slave in this house. You're my son. But he was dead. He was lost and was found. And they began to marry. They had a good old time. As Jared Patrick put it, they were hooping it up. Verse 32 also, he repeats the same thing. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. This is the condition of the unbeliever. Of the per- we commonly say the person who's lost. They're dead. And Jesus is saying in John, there is a time now, and it's now, where the Son of God is going to be speaking and proclaiming the truth. And his gospel will be heralded, and there will be spiritual resurrections. The theological word, right? Regeneration. God will be granting life to dead, sinful men, women, and children. In Romans chapter 4, this is not something only that you find on the lips of Jesus, but throughout the epistles and really throughout the whole Bible. Look at Romans chapter uh, 6, verse 4. I'm going to press this point because it's, it's an important point. It's one that we, that we need to understand. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't know how to describe, and you're a Christian, and you don't know how to describe what happened to you. You're de- you were dead and you were brought to life. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian and you think to yourself, what, what, I, I don't know. How to live this Christian life. Of course not, you're dead. You must hear the voice of the Son of God. You must hear the gospel of grace. And it is in the preaching of the gospel that life is given to sinners. God's word brings life. 
In the beginning, God spoke and the world came into existence. And today, the gospel of God is preached and the dead are raised to life. So in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says this. And it's, this is so ingrained in Paul's theology, it's like in phrases. It's, it's just almost a side comment when he talks about this. Listen to it in verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, even so what? Even so, we were raised from the dead. He was, Jesus was dead, dead, three days dead, and he was raised spiritually and physically from the dead. And even so, we, as Christ was raised by the power of God into resurrection life, we have spiritual resurrection. That is what Paul point is, and that is what Jesus is getting to. That's Jesus' point. In Ephesians 2, in Ephesians 2, 1, and here, of course, speaking of Christians, uh, every Christian should know this verse, because it's a good reminder. So you come to church, and you, may, and, um, you might think to yourself, uh, why does the preacher not encourage me? You know, I want a Charles Stanley kind of sermon. I want Andy Stanley. I want an Andy Stanley sermon. I want a Rick Warren kind of motivation. I want, um, smiling. Joel Osteen. I want a Joel Osteen. And this guy, and this guy, you know, I come and he's telling me I'm dead or saying that people are dead. What's the point? You know? The point is that the Bible does this. Paul is talking to believers, and listen what he says here. And he, Ephesians 2.1, and you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among also, among whom also you were once, you once conducted yourself in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But, but you see, he reminds them of their past to highlight the grace and the glory of God. That is the purpose. But Christian. There was a time when you were dead. God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. You see, he raised us in means of life. This is what God does. And we can go on and on, look at more verses, but the point is clear. And even in the book of Revelation, when, when Christ is speaking to the churches in Revelation, in Revelation 3.1, well, this is the last one we'll look at. Uh, he says to the church there, he's speaking to an entire congregation. And he says to them in Revelation 3 1. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. And to the angel of the church of Sardis, write, These things 
says, he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. He's speaking to an entire congregation, not just one person. All of you, you have a name that you're alive. People know you're such and such a church, but you're dead. You're dead spirits. And he calls them to repentance. And, and this is what you have to pay attention to. What's Jesus doing there? Jesus is instructing by means of his word because his word gives life. And there must be a response to the words he's declared. So, what Jesus is talking about here is, is giving spiritual life to the dead. Now, you may, you may think to yourself, well, how about the, is, is Jesus saying that this never happened? Like that people never heard the word of God and received life? No, they did. But here, in the ministry of Jesus, you, we arrive at the most important point in history because the Son of God himself is declaring these things and he's coming to his own people and he's pressing the truth of God's promises upon their heart and they're not, they're not responding. They're not responding at all. This, of course, is in line with the, uh, the, the promise, really a promise and a warning that God gives in the Old Testament. And listen, listen to this text. And I know we're, we're thumbing around a lot, but we're still thinking about one verse. So uh, don't be weary. Let's, uh, I think this is the last verse we'll turn to. Look at Psalm 95. We'll, we'll, we'll turn to one other place in Hebrews, but Psalm 95. Look at Psalm 95. It's related to Psalm 95, so it, it sort of doesn't count. But uh, look at Psalm, Psalm 95. Psalm 95, God is promising or really threatening, giving a, a warning to his people that a day is coming, a particular kind of day is coming. And the Lord says this. Uh, uh, yeah, Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Oh, uh, I'll read from verse 1 because it's important to catch the history here. Because what Jesus is saying is that he is coming to give spiritual life. He is coming to enable people to become believers. And the thought... Right? He's speaking to the Jewish people, right? first and foremost. And the thought could be, well, what, what happened to the Old Testament believers? What, what, did they have life? I would say yes. They were also raised. But there's a climax at the coming of Jesus. It's the high point of redemptive history. Verse 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hand formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
So here you have this call to worship for, for many reasons, right? He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's our provider. Let us come to him. Let us all rush and worship him. And I will win. Today, if you will hear his voice, and I will remind you. This is the same thing Paul does in Ephesians 2, by the way. Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. So now God comes and he says to Peter, yes, draw near to worship, come before my throne, but now I'm going to bring you. Don't be like those in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And what are they to hear? The voice. Hear his voice. And now Jesus comes to the Jewish people and he says to them the same thing. Hear my voice and live. Hear my voice and find rest. Hear my voice and find rest from the legalism that you're in bondage to. Hear my voice and find liberty from the sin that's holding you captive. Hear my voice and live. Have life. Enter into my rest. That's what Jesus is saying. The first resurrection that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual resurrection. The hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Who are the dead? They look just like us. We were one time spiritual. If you're a Christian, there was a time when you were spiritually dead. What does it mean for them to hear them? He means to emphasize this, that the life he is referring to comes through hearing the gospel. It's not a physical life he's talking about. He's, some, he's talking about something spiritual that is communicated. He's talking about the work of regeneration, what the Spirit of God does under the preaching of the word. It's communicated in the Old Testament this way. I will give you a new heart. I will wash you from your iniquities. I will put my law within your heart, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. What Jesus is talking about is what happens under the preaching of the gospel when the Spirit comes and enlivens men. One author put it this way, it is not less contrary to nature that the dead should hear than that they should be brought back to life, which they have lost. And therefore, both proceed from the secret and special power of God. What Jesus is talking about is an act of God that happens under the preaching of the word. If you are not a Christian, and you're hearing today 
Your prayer should be, God, make me alive. I can't do it. I cannot bring one person. If, if I could bring men and women and children from death to life, I'd, I'd be out. I wouldn't be here today. Because I'd met you all and you'd already all be alive. I'd be out making other people alive. But we can't do it. It is something that we have to trust in God for. And we have to depend on God for. This is the importance now. Here's where the congregation is brought into this. Do you pray for those kinds of things? Do you pray God on Sunday, not because the preacher is good necessarily, but because you are faithful, would you grant life to the children who come to this church? Would you grant life to those men and women who come to this church who don't have it? Would you grant life to a visitor that may walk in by himself or by herself? Would you grant life? Lord, do it. That should be the prayer of God's people. You know, church shouldn't be just like we stumble out of bed and we just try to get a cup of coffee and walk in here, you know, barely making it. This is corporate worship. This is the context in which God strengthens, he builds up his people and where he converts people also. God just doesn't only convert people outside this building. It's not like there's some kind of force field that keeps people from becoming Christians. No, God works here also and in a special way. We have to remember that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the way that he does it, the ordinary way that he does it, is through the preaching of the word. All you have to do is read your New Testament to see it. I won't go to Hebrews. I'll turn back to John. John, and they will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For this is the reason why the Son is able to give life. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son have life in himself. So, verse 25, there are two resurrections. There is a spiritual resurrection. And that spiritual resurrection is produced by the preaching of the word of God. Because God has granted the Son this power to give life. And, not only that, he has given him authority to execute judgment also. Because he is the son of man. This authority to execute justice, it's, it's, it's found in our favorite Bible verse also. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so the ones that believe... They're not judged. There's no, ju there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But here's the contrast. He who believes in the son is not condemned, 
but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see the similarity between this verse and chapter 5, verse 27? And has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of God. What Jesus is saying is, if you do not believe in me, a judgment has already been cast, and I am the one casting that judgment. But here, he is speaking of the matter or the issue of temporal life uh, or uh, spiritual life. What he's talking about is blinding the eyes of the unbelievers so they, they do not understand. It's the judgment that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 when God gives people over to a debased mind. If they refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? They are turned over more and more to their sin. The, all you have to do is read a little bit of American history, and it's playing out right before us. Right? The, the, the trends in, in uh, uh, sexual perversion in the United States, it is absolutely radical right now that this is, uh, this is grotesque but true, and you should know it because we should not walk around this world with our eyes closed. But on Twitter, you could comment and post about pedophilia, and it's not against stand their standards. That is the height of depravity. And, you know, a fish doesn't know he's wet, right? Never complains. You never see a fish with an umbrella, maybe in a movie, but, or you never see a fish with a towel trying to dry himself off, right? Because he's in the water, right? Or the proverbial frog, right? You throw him in the pot and you boil the frog. He doesn't know he's boiled because he's in the water. That's, we're in some really nasty water. And unless we're, uh, we're in the word, unless we're submitting ourselves to Christ, we'll, we'll be blind to what is going on. We ought to be praying for all of the abortions that are being committed in this country and throughout the world, but we're like the leader of the killing of babies in this country. We ought to be praying for God to be gracious, to bring a revival, to bring life apart from that, apart from God pouring out His Spirit, apart from God sending out men to preach, apart from us planting churches, God, we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet, you know, if, if you look back at histories, history, preachers have always felt the same way. And Christians, overall, have felt the same way, that we're living in a period of total rebellion and turning from God. But we have to be open to this. The judgment that Jesus is talking about here is a real judgment, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it in our nation. And therefore, our responsibility should be to be praying, to be declaring these things, 
to be making them clear so that men might have life now, so that they might partake in a spiritual resurrection today, and then at the end, which is verses 27 to 30, when the judgment comes, they can stand before God robed in the righteousness of Christ. Let's uh, pray and we'll close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you in particular for this truth here, that Christ in his mercy and his grace does raise men and women from the dead. Lord Jesus, you are the word of God. And you are the word that we preach. We preach your person and your work. You are the Son of God. All things were made by you. For the glory of God and for the salvation of sinners. Lord, you took upon flesh. You were born of a virgin. You suffered in the flesh, you died in the flesh, you rose again in the flesh and ascended in the flesh into heaven, promising that one day you would return to judge the living and the dead. Help us to keep these things in mind. And may we live uh, with the hope of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.